Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no. To clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up, it's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the nerd party where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week or this month or something something along those lines. Uh, it's been crazy. I don't know. We've been busy. Like we couldn't do it one week, and then yeah. we couldn't do it another week, and then we could almost do it, but then it didn't work, and then we couldn't do it the next week, and now we're here. You 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 serve no wine before it's time, and it's time. It's time <laughs> to serve this wine. Yeah, I mean, we just waited and just bunched all of the best weeks together into one. Yes, uh, this is our mega return episode. Yeah, we're going to take a look at all of the movies released between October 1st and October 21st, 1994. So still not quite there, but close. Getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, we're only a week behind now after this. Yeah, which is, I mean, you know, considering, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, October 1st. And now I've watched the trailers for these things most of them anyway. Some of them I don't remember now. I'm sorry. You don't have to apologize for that. But there's plenty of stuff to talk about. Yes, there is. Okay. So October 1st, there were two movies, uh, and neither of which I was able to find any information about whatsoever. Uh, the first was called The Politics of Cancer. I believe mm-hmm. it was about cancer. I think so. Uh, otherwise politics. that's the otherwise that's the most misleading title in history. <laughs> okay, the next was called Moon Dance. I don't mm-hmm. know what this was about. Nor do I, but every time I see the title I think of Moonstruck and I mm. say, "No, that's not this movie." Okay. So next up, uh we're moving moving right along here, October yeah. 6th, 1994, Ladybird, Ladybird. Have you seen this? Nope, nope. Okay, 71% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Couldn't find any information on it on uh, the, the IMDb, but I'm a little nervous about the, the IMDb's new whatever. I don't know. This was directed by uh, Ken Loach, so there's something to that. Yes, he hates Marvel movies. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So I said I said this online, but I want to start a Twitter account like this or that, where I just ask filmmakers whether or not they like Marvel movies. Yeah, I I'd like that would be good. Yeah. I think that would be a very interesting account. Just uh, just keep asking. You should do, yeah, do that. 
Yeah. Uh, they would all hate me, you know, but that's okay. I don't think they'd hate you. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see which ones actually replied. Yeah, they'd all block me. There'd be no. like two, two people who replied, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, is Scorsese even on Twitter? No, he's not. Is he? Not. Is Coppola even aware of what Twitter is? I don't think so. I don't exactly. Think so. I, I saw that uh, Irishman movie. Oh, oh, you lucky dog. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's the most interesting thing about it. It's not called The Irishman. It's called I Heard You Paint Houses, which is what they originally wanted to call it because that's what the book is called, right? Yeah. But somewhere along the way, they must have been like, no, no, no. You got to call it The Irishman. And he must have been like, fine, but in the movie, it's going to be called I Heard You Paint Houses. So, like, I go into the theater with my ticket that says The Irishman. I walk past The Irishman poster. I sit down and I listen to some random person introduce The Irishman. And then the movie starts and the title comes up on screen, I Heard You Paint Houses. So. That's a very confusing marketing campaign then. (laughs) I know, but I like it. So from now on, I'm referring to it as I Heard You Paint Houses. That sounds actually um, like an even even more interesting uh, title card note than the fact that in Star Trek VI, they still have Uhura's name written as Uhuru. Yeah, that's bad. You would think that that's something they could have fixed in one of the editions they've released. Yep. Oh, well. I I heard you paint houses, though. I mean, like that's you could argue that's just a harder title to... People don't know what it's about because they think it's about a guy painting houses. What it refers to is painting houses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. With blood splattering because you shoot someone in the head and it splatters on the walls and that's the painting. Yeah. La Cosa Nostra had many, many wonderful, colorful euphemisms (laughs) for killing. Now, if anything, their their use of metaphor doesn't redeem what they've done. However, (laughs) it was creative. Yes. Uh, yeah. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, moving on. October 7th. Now, this is this is where it starts getting good. Okay. Yes. And some, like we've said, some of these dates may be a little off, but whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. We do what we can. Um, number nine at the box office with $2.6 million and a 92% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Ed Wood. Yes, Ed Wood, directed by Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp and Martin Landau in a role that would eventually go on to win him the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for that year, beating out Samuel L. Jackson somehow. And And John Travolta, too, right? mm -hmm. I think they were both supporting. I I don't recall. I'd have to check that. I I thought you no, I thought Travolta was definitely like put in the best actor category and then Jackson was put in best supporting. I just remember that when Landau won, uh they you could see the curse word that uh Samuel L. Jackson said in his seat. And I remember an interview where somebody said, Did you really say that? And he said, Yeah, I said that. I thought I was gonna win. <laughs> He's like, it doesn't take anything away from him. I was just, you know, hey, I, I was hoping. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, Ed Wood is, uh, you know, 
obviously about Ed Wood. Uh, did you see this in the theater when it came out? Um, yes, I didn't. No, I did not see it in the theater when it came out, but I saw it um, on video shortly thereafter. Okay. Okay. So, by the way, you you were right. Um, John Travolta was lead actor, and Samuel L. Jackson was supporting. That seems very strange to me. I think it's accurate, but it seems strange to me. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I was a big fan. I, you know, I, I in my freshman year of high school, I was in the sci-fi fantasy club, and at the Halloween party, almost exactly twenty-five years ago, uh, we watched uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space some person's house because it's like oh the worst movie ever made and i remember like being mildly amused by this but you know it, it didn't it didn't you know change my my world or anything like that but i was definitely intrigued and i was also intrigued by the fact that the, the, the guy who made batman was directing a thing and it was in black and white and all that's cool and it's a comedy and everything so this was totally 100 percent in my wheelhouse back when i was 15 years old and I absolutely loved it, and I think it holds up. If anything, I think it's better now than than it was back then. And uh, I, 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 in addition to being wildly entertaining and everything like that, a lot of the stuff which comes across as like humorous and almost like humorous in in the fact that it's so ridiculous. Like you look at it now, like through today's lens, and like it's actually like extremely progressive and i think that that's kind of cool um so yeah i i I love this movie Uh, this is one of the best of the year for me i'm not sure where it's going to fall but like looking at it right now like i don't know and maybe it's not better than natural born killers at this point but it's up there it's definitely up there i would definitely put it above natural born killers but we all know my feelings on that so that's fine that's fine um no i yeah i i loved it i I saw it in the same theater where I saw Time Cop. Oh. Uh, it, it, yeah, I went to the same movie theater all the time. Um, <laughs> What's the theater? Give oh, them a shout out. Uh, I don't think they exist anymore. We can look them up on Cinema Treasures. Well, I don't know if they're... Uh, because the thing is, they were a Cineplex Odeon, then they were a Sony Theaters, and then I don't know what they turned into. Well, what was uh, the name? After that. Uh, it was uh, Calverton. It was... Uh, oh, geez. It was in Calverton... Yeah. So although technically it was in Beltsville, Maryland, but it was on the line with Calverton. And so it was the Cineplex Odeon Calverton. And I think it had, hold on a second, it was 14. And um, yeah, I saw tons of movies there. I I saw Apollo 13 there. I saw, yeah, I saw The Professional. Anyway, lots of movies I saw there. Starship Troopers I saw there. The special editions I saw there. All of that. That that movie theater was uh, near and dear to my heart. Knew the manager. He used to take smoke breaks with him. What's the name of this town? Uh, Calverton, Maryland. No, but you said it was in a different town. Uh, Beltsville, Maryland. Beltsville. Yeah, Beltsville, Maryland. It's a great name. Um, sort of. <laughs> I had friends yeah. that lived out there. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. But uh, yeah. Anyway, no. I Ed, I thought I I think Ed Wood is a delightful film. I really do, I, and I think that um, it's one of those things where it exists exactly where Tim Burton needs his subject matter to exist. Yeah, 
I mean, I in a lot of ways, I think it might be Tim Burton's best movie. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Tim Burton Batman movies and everything like that, but I I, I do think that this one's pretty great. So yeah, I mean, I'd give it to this or Big Fish, but I know that not everybody loves Big Fish. No, no. Okay, okay. Here we go. Is it the AMC? Well, now AMC Center Park Eight. That would be it. Yes. At 4001 Powder Center Mill Park. Road. Yes, Powder Mill Road. Yeah, that's it. Nice. Yes, you found it. Yeah, you found I'll it. send you the link. May 1993 saw the opening of a gem theater. This new 40,000... Squ- I should preface this by saying lots of times these these descriptions are written by the people who own them. Anyway, yeah. this new 40,000 square foot eightplex is the talk of the town. It is of the Art Deco styling and plush rocking mm-hmm. chair seats with cup holders. Of yes. course, all the theaters have state-of-the-art projection equipment with Lucasfilm THX sound and all mm-hmm. eight screens have Dolby sound. Well, that's... Do they have THX on all eight screens? No. Okay, they had THX theaters. They're, they're, uh, they're, it was either one or two main theaters had THX. Uh, they, they were the first to ever have the THX sound system that well, I personally knew of. That's, that's pretty cool. I mean, that was always yeah. the mark of quality. That's what I always looked for when I was going to a movie. THX. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, you know, it made it uh, work. Why, you know, seeing the special editions there and everything. So, yeah, well, that's yeah. really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. So moving on. Number seven this week with four point two million dollars and a ninety six percent on Rotten Tomatoes future Academy Award nominee quiz show. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? Have not seen it to this day. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Interesting. It's it's not a principled stand. I just haven't seen it. I feel like you should go back and watch it since we're watching all these other things. You should at least see like the five nominees, right? No, no. I should. And I, I, and I was meaning to, the problem is that, uh, carving out it cause it's like two hours, 12 minutes or something like that. Yeah. It's on the longish side. But I, with a film like this, I know I'm going to want the whole block of time uninterrupted. Yeah. And that can be a challenge uh, with the number of children that I have. Yeah. Well, I watched it broken up. I watched it spread out over two states uh, at one point. Um, Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I think one one of the things which sort of got in the way of recording this thing is I unexpectedly had to go up to Michigan for a funeral. So that was cool. Um, Hmm. But regardless of any of this, I did watch this half at home and half in a hotel room in Michigan. And I can tell you, even with that... That, that distance, both in terms of time and uh, mileage, it still holds up. But was it your first time seeing it? It wasn't, but still. But but I would I would argue that I know that this is something where if it's my first time seeing it, I'm going to want it to be just a little bit extra. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, you so, got until the end of the year to, to see it. So yeah. I will rectify this. I promise okay. I will. I it's promise. really good. You know, it's it's very it's there's nothing about it which is revolutionary or anything like that. But it's one of those movies where it tells like a historical event, you know, which is very much of its time, which may not be earth shattering, but 
was certainly part of like the cultural conversation at the time and really sort of like peels back the curtain, pulls back the curtain and reveals sort of like what, what happened there. And I mean, it's just a really compelling story about um, the, this scandal, which was pretty widespread back in yeah. the fifties, I guess, or early sixties where um, the quiz shows, which were very popular on TV, the game shows essentially uh, were rigged and uh, the contestants were getting uh, the answers ahead of time in order to boost ratings and create drama and all this stuff. And this is about um, the guy who exposed. It's not really. It's it's not. There's like no no central character. Like it's very much sort of an ensemble piece. You know, looking at all sides of it. But the cast is amazing. Made up of a bunch of people who weren't really big at the time uh john turturro ray fines you know yeah although ray fines was coming off of his you know star making turn in schindler's list the year before. that's true he he was in that yeah and john turturro had been in some stuff with like the coen brothers and everything it's really weird like even though like ray fines you could say is sort of like the center of the movie like john turturro even gets top billing in the credits you know which is strange mm-hmm. and the movie was written by or was directed by robert redford um, which, you know, I mean, he did Ordinary People and stuff like that. It's really kind of sad, but at the same time is one of those things which makes you go, hmm, because Steven Soderbergh was supposed to direct this movie. He got huh. the script, he was hired, he was all ready to go, and then Robert Redford came in and was like, oh, I'd love to direct this movie, and the studio was like, Take a hike, Soderbergh. And, you know, if you look at, like, where Soderbergh was at in his career, like, he had just, he'd done Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Then he made Kafka, which was not successful by any stretch of the imagination. And then he did King of the Hill, which was also not successful, although people liked it. And this could have been, like, the movie which brought him back, right? Yeah. But instead, he got fired from it, and he ended up making Underneath, which is a fantastic movie, which everybody hates and nobody has seen. And that sent him into the indie world before coming out and you know, basically changing the course of his career. So if he had made this movie, who knows what it would have happened. He may have been destined to making like really uninteresting Oscar bait for like the rest of his life. You never know. I think that's actually a fair assessment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I could see that happening, you know? Turn left instead of right. Zig yeah. when you should have zagged. Yeah. So let's be grateful that Robert Redford directed Quiz Show. I guess so. For more than one reason. One, he made a really good movie. Two, maybe he saved so- Soderbergh's career by, um, you know, temporarily stalling it. So let's come up with a premise in the Terminator Dark Fate universe i haven't seen terminator dark fate where what it is is people traveling back in time and taking and or costing people jobs so that they wind up going on their better career path and ensuring that the entertainment world survives into the future yeah i mean that could be interesting like a lot of what if i mean like they never really do that in uh time travel stuff i guess they kind of do that in that that movie yesterday sort of even though it doesn't uh, make well, any sense well there was a um there was actually a very good uh 
I think it was uh, the new Twilight Zone or Amazing Stories. It was in the 80s. Um, and it was either the Twilight Zone revival or it was an Amazing Stories where there was a time traveler who went back and accidentally prevented Kennedy's assassination. Yeah. And so to write the timeline, he got Kennedy killed again, but he switched places somehow. And so Kennedy was able to go on into the future and... You know, everybody thought Kennedy was dead, but he'd really gone, you know, several hundred years into the future as a great hmm. statesman to, you know, carry on his legacy or something like that. Did you ever see that episode of Quantum Leap? The Lee Harvey Yes, Osmo? which I think was probably my favorite. Uh, if you're going to get crazy with a conspiracy theory, it was the way to go. And they did a good job with it. I liked it. And, and as a kid, it really kind of like taught me like what happened. Like I remember... Like we had a we had a thing where we had to write like a report, like one of our first big reports, like research papers for like English class or something like that. And I mean, the idea, like looking back at it, it was pretty creative. Essentially, the teacher showed us the video for We Didn't Start the Fire. <laughs> and then he yeah. wrote out all the lyrics and he's <laughs> yeah. like, you need to pick something mentioned in this song and do a research paper on that. But he was like, look, every single person is going to pick JFK, right? So you got to yeah. find like a unique take on it. So I'm like, oh, I just saw this quantum leaf thing. I thought it was really interesting. So I want to do my paper on Lee Harvey Oswald. And I did. And I learned some stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I said, well, I mean, gosh, I could... That's for we should do something just about Oliver Stone and Quantum Leap and JFK because yeah that, that, that's a rabbit hole not worth going down so not not right now but it's very complex and interesting yeah at some yeah, point at some point all right so number three at the box office on October seventh with seven point four million dollars and a fifty two percent positive on Rotten Tomatoes only you uh, this is a movie. Starring Iron Man and Peter Parker's aunt, Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr., mm -hmm. directed by Norman Jewison. Mm -hmm. uh, it looked intriguing, but there's too much other stuff to watch. It, you know, the. Have you seen I, it? I've, no, I've okay. gone into so many things where it's just. Listen, it's been a track record of pain this year. And if uh, you know, even fifty percent is starting to risk my my displeasure at this point. Yeah. Especially when you know, again, we're in we're in the midst of, you know, the Oscar contenders right now, you know. So Yeah, I know. Finally there's a a lot of cool stuff to choose from. And are you really gonna waste a week on only you? No, I am not. Okay, but number one at the box office. Number one. $19.8 million. Yes, number one at the and box seven, office. seven percent on Rotten mm -hmm. Tomatoes. Yeah, generous. Sh show you show you how, how much people value uh, <laughs> critical opinions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Specialist. Yeah. Starring Sylvester Stallone and Sharon Stone. Mm-hmm. And hey, James Woods. Yeah. And Rod Steiger. Yeah. Yeah. And Eric Roberts. Hey. How can, you know, hey, they took his thumbs, but he came back for the specialist. Um, 
So, so I, I haven't I haven't seen this movie. You saw it? Oh yeah. Not in the theater, but afterward. <laughs> it looked terrible, but I it is, this was Stallone's resurgent period. Yeah, you know? you know, I I would have watched it if it were another week. I mean, let's not forget it's directed by Richard Donner, director no. of such classics. Yeah. I thought I it was. Wait a minute. No, it, no, who, he who, did. He did uh, the one that the Wachowski. Oh, I'm wrote. sorry. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. No, no, no. I mixed it up with Assassins. It wasn't Donna that did this. It was. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Louis Losa or something like that. No, no. Um, Assassins is a good movie, despite what everyone says. It isn't. Um, <laughs> it isn't. No, no, no. Yes, sorry. I got this mixed up with Assassins because, quite frankly, the specialist and Assassins and all of that stuff, Resurgence Stallone, this time period, there are so many movies where it is so easy to jumble up what the hell is going on. It's like, is this the one where he's in the cave? No, that's daylight. Is this one where he's the bomb expert? Yeah. Okay, so that's the specialist. Yeah. And then what's the one where he's, the point being, this movie's not good doesn't matter who directed it. it doesn't matter i mean like sylvester stallone sharon stone and james woods you would think that would uh come together somewhere along the way for uh you know worthwhile but no it does not um yeah it's not it's not good i mean but seven percent of critics liked it so you know, I sincerely have a feeling that that 7% is because there's somebody that's like, oh, once you accept it, it's terrible. You don't have a bad time or something like that. There's always that one review like that. That's the backhanded compliment. Yeah, so. yeah. We should look at it because they have the little capsule things on Rotten Tomatoes. We should. It doesn't even have the, it doesn't even have the decency to be 90 minutes. It's an hour and 50 minutes. Okay. An hour and 50? Yeah. One hour and five zero minutes. Yeah. And... Listen, if you're going to make a crap movie, you have to follow the rule of like uh, an hour 40. You're pushing it. But let's let's get it in that hour 30 to hour 40 range and ride that out. And just that is your clear signal. We're just trying to get showings in. And like that, if you can do that for me, then I will be more forgiving of what you've done than if you torture me for even a minute longer than i need to that's true it's like max always says if you can't be good you can at least be short yes yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, here we go quentin curtis of independent on sunday says (laughs) this is filmmaking that never asks you seriously to believe or care but simply to wallow in its sensual overload and succumb to its trashy caress there you go see that's somebody who likes bad movies uh, and is going as positive a spin as possible. See, here's Fred Topel, who's actually like a, you know, legit guy, right? Mm-hmm. He says, good standard Stallone movie, cool explosions and gratuitous fight scenes. Well, well, hey, that <laughs> that's accurate. That's Those are the accurate. only two positive reviews. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Dodge this one. Don't see it. It's not good. Okay. No. Well, uh, next up, moving on. We're moving on to the following week, a Wednesday release, October 12th. 
78% on Rotten Tomatoes, no box office that I could find. The Browning version. Now, here's a movie which I wanted to see. Have you seen it? No. Okay. It was directed by Mike Figgis, who would later go on to direct uh, Leaving Las Vegas and a bunch of other cool mm-hmm. movies, uh, starring Albert Finney and Greta Skaki, Matthew Modine, yeah, a bunch of people. Um, I mean, hey, th- those are all people who I want to see in a in a movie, you know? Good yeah. reviews, only 97 minutes long, but uh, didn't have time. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll catch up to that uh, as we, as the year progresses. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to October 14th. First up, uh, no information that I can find about this at all. Love After Love, which is a French movie starring Isabelle Huppert. I don't really know anything about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Next up. Uh, no no box office information, but 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. Imaginary Crimes. No. No, I don't know no. anything about this either. But Harvey Keitel's in it, along with uh, Feruza Balk. So that yeah. is something. Um, yeah. Hey, you know. Could be interesting. Yeah. Keitel, Keitel did some really wild stuff for a time. And uh, so... Every so often, you can find like a little gem in there, but yeah, yeah, he was he was up for trying weird things. I mean, he's the reason why Reservoir Dogs got made, right? So. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, thank God he did. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, that you know, that's not a uh, not one that found it into my my rotation. Me either. Next up, another movie which doesn't have any box office information, but has eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I like it like that. Yeah, I remember the ads for this at the time, actually. Yeah? I do. I did not see it, though. Me either. Next up, number 15 at the box office with $33,000 and a 98% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, a movie which I still have not seen, and I can't believe I didn't even watch it for this. What? Hoop Dreams. You haven't? Dude. I know. And the thing takes like partially takes place in my hometown. The director is from my hometown. He would come to my movie theater all the time, sometimes to show his movies, but usually just to watch movies. Steve James, yeah. Um, I still haven't seen it. I I think Hoop Dreams is magnificent. It's I I did not see it in the theater. I saw it. Yeah, the first time I saw it was uh, on video many years later. And, you know, it was one of those ones where, like, everybody talked about it and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, just what he does to construct the story of these these guys and sort of really, you know, bring to light sort of the, the you know, the social situation with how important basketball is and why. And it's it's. You know, it's a type of documentary that I adore because it doesn't take any sort of judgmental position on anything. It just presents a story and it just says you just go around and you learn and your heart aches at the end of it. Just absolutely aches for these guys. Um, And I would imagine that it's something that everybody should watch or have watched at some point. And um the NBA doesn't want anybody to watch because, yeah, I mean, seriously, like the NBA and the NFL, they live on that whole pipe dream of, 
oh yeah, 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 you're gonna make it, you're gonna make it, kid. And so everybody pins all of their hopes on that. And it's you know some vanishingly small percentage of people that actually make the leagues. And it's it's this idea that it's the only it's the only dream that these guys have. It's the only thing that they see as an option. And that in and of itself is heartbreaking. You know, yeah. I just I think it's a magnificent film. I think it, everybody should see it. I'll check it out. While, while you're watching Quiz Show, I'll watch Hoop Dreams. Fair yeah. enough. I still don't know why it doesn't have 100%, but I guess you can't please everybody. But. Yeah. I know Roger Ebert says it's one of the best movies ever made. And um, when, when he was dying, he picked Steve James, the filmmaker, to make the documentary on his life, life itself. Yeah. Have you seen that? I have not, but I should. It's really good. Yeah. I believe it. He also made this movie called Stevie about um, this guy. This He, he was like a, a, a kid at the time when he was younger, the director. It was like his big brother. And as he grew up, he was like really troubled and got into some really bad trouble with the law and everything like that. And it's really sort of about the conflict of like wanting to help this guy and still be his big brother when, uh, you know, at the same time, this guy has done some, you know, truly like indefensible things in his life. Yeah. And it's like, well, how do you do, how do you reconcile that? It, it's, it's interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. Moving on. Number nine at the box office with $3.3 million and a 90%. On Rotten Tomatoes. Should also Shaw. be higher than 90%. <laughs> I think, you know, time has really kind of, you know, whatever, bumped that up a little bit. I think so. The Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Um, yeah, I went to see this because I knew, you know, whatever, I had to watch it for this. So I, I went to see this in the theater um, a few weeks back. And it holds up. It's a good movie. Uh, yeah, and for a time in the 90s, it was one of the Turner stations, TBS, I'm pretty sure, where it was just on all the time. It I think was, that's still the case because like... Probably. <laughs> like like uh, I, I do the, the theater chain that I, I uh, work for. We do this thing called the Critics Classic uh, where yeah. every month uh, the Chicago Film Critics Association shows a... a classic movie and then leads a discussion afterwards and i was like oh um we want to find out like you know what what movies people want to see and i'm like throw out this name shawshank redemption and in in like a list of a billion other names and uh patrick bromley of f this movie he was like reading them out and we got to shawshank redemption and everyone like applauded and he's like you guys do have tnt right yeah (laughs) But yeah. you know that's a it's a I don't know it's a weird concept to to these days to watch Listen, something on did you do you watch something like a movie if it comes on on like you know commercial television do you just sit and watch it Okay I can honestly say I haven't watched commercial television and I don't know how long Exactly Um so no nowadays I wouldn't but Back in the days when, you know, TV was just something you always had on in the background, and you'd scan the channels, you know, what, what am I going to have on? Shawshank Redemption was just, it was kill your day roulette, because you'd just be going along, and it was like, bang, it was like, all right, 
I'm done. I'm I'm checking out for a couple hours here. That's and I still adore this film. I I I, I cannot overstate how much I adore it. And I think that um it was really like a slap to the face not so long ago went not slap to the face, but like splash of cold water, whatever metaphor you want to use, um, where they were asking Morgan Freeman a series of questions and all they would do is they would just say a movie title. It was like some sidebar to an interview or something. And the one thing he said about Shawshank Redemption was a lot of big egos on that. I don't really want to talk about it. Huh. And it was just like, Oh no, I don't want to know that. I d- don't say anything. Um, and I, but I can see that, right? I can see Darabont and Robbins having conflict on set constantly, because Robbins would be, I he's been a director and mm-hmm. people respect him and he's a serious artist, and Darabont trying to run his set the way he wants to, and just the yeah. two of them coming to conflict about it. And he's a first time filmmaker, probably right, and. Uh... Yeah, and and I mean, I, I don't know if this is any reflection on him, but certainly there have been you know projects that Darabont has been associated with that have not gone tremendously well. You know, there's the whole mm-hmm. thing about him being fired from Walking Dead after creating the show and everything. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. And I also point to Shawshank Redemption as a, a prime example of how. Casting the right actor does not necessarily mean casting the actor as they are even described in the script or the source material or anything like that, because one of the best joke lines in any movie that I've ever seen is when Morgan Freeman is uh, meeting um, Tim Robbins, Andy Dufresne for the first time. And he says, you know, what's your name? He says, Red. And he says, why do they call you Red? And Morgan Freeman looks at him and starts laughing as he says, maybe it's because I'm Irish. And that's a great laugh line, but it's because Red is a a short little redheaded Irish guy in the story and the script, but they cast Morgan Freeman because he just brought something to the character. And so it creates this tremendous laugh line when it's just the way the line was written because the character was Irish. And it's just, I I just think it's it's such a wonderful thing. And Andy Dufresne wasn't supposed to be a tall, lanky, good-looking dude. He was supposed to be an average-looking, slightly pudgy, middle-aged banker. Yeah. And instead, Tim Robbins was the guy they wanted. And so they cast him. And it's just just one of those things where it's like you should always let the casting process shake it out and find the right actor for the job. Yeah. No, it makes sense. And, uh, you know, it works here. And... It's one of those things where, yeah, like not a lot of people saw it when it first came out and it found its life on home video and as and cable as, as you know, we, we know. And boy, I mean, it's really kind of taken off. Like at the time, yeah, it got nominated for Best Picture. That's pretty substantial, but it, it had no chance of winning going up against Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction. Nothing did. And yet now... yeah. There's, I mean, the Academy being, you know, what it is and everything, I think there is a case to be made where, like, if these movies were to come out today, Shawshank Redemption might be the winner. I think so. Yeah. I I 
I remember having the uh, argument with my much-mentioned friend Joey at the time. We saw all of these movies together and everything, and I was the one that was staunchly see the Shawshank or Pulp Fiction. Those that was that was the winner. You know, I was perfectly happy with Forrest Gump. I still love and adore Forrest Gump, but if you give me those three, then I'm going Shawshank or Pulp Fiction, and possibly giving the nose to Shawshank. And he was decidedly not in that camp. He was decidedly Forrest Gump or nothing. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that's weird. I, you know, it, he did well. We'll we'll get to that part. We'll, I'll sell Joey out in our discussion about Pulp Fiction <laughs> later. But I'll just say that he did not enjoy Shawshank Redemption as much as I did. Yeah, I mean, I I saw it. Do you? So you saw it in the theater? Yes. Okay. I did I was not, one of the few who did. Yeah, yeah, I did not see it in the theater, but I saw it on home video. I guess this was really like the year where I started watching things like when they came out on video because we'll get to it in a few weeks. Like my ground zero for watching movies, you know, really is coming very soon. And, you know, a lot of these things I was playing catch up on. And as, you know, the Oscars were coming out and everything, I was like, well, Shawshank Redemption, okay, you know. And so, yeah, I saw this on video and I, and I loved it back then, but I was, I've was never, and to, to this day, really, I'm still, it's not like one of those movies where I'm like, this is in my, you know, my canon, my top, whatever of all time or anything. I think it's a really good movie. And every time I see it, I think like, oh, I, you know, this, this holds up. This is like really good. Like I, why don't I, I give this thing more credit, but it's n- never been, you know, at the very, very top uh, for me. I, I think that there's only one glaring flaw with this entire film. And unfortunately, it's the very end. Yeah. Because if it ends with Red riding off in the bus and it says, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. And bus goes off, fade to black. That is your perfect ending right there. Yeah. I do not necessarily care for the coda of him walking on the beach with Andy in Sewataneo. Mm-hmm. Um I'm fine with it and I'm happy for the happy ending, but I think that the point of the film is arrived at in the scene where Red decides he's not going to just die. Yeah. That there is a life still worth living because that's the whole point of the film. But at the same time, I don't mind that they get their happy ending. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it works, and and you know, I mean, it, it like my wife had never seen it, and I took her to see it. You know, when when I went in the theater, and she was like, "Oh, this is great. This one of my favorite movies." You know, now, yeah. So so it, it holds up for you know for new new viewers as well excellent and the best picture nominee another one deservedly okay number eight at the box office making more money than Shawshank redemption and hoop dreams combined uh four million dollars with a six percent on rotten tomatoes Mm -hmm. exit to eden Mm -hmm. i remember when this movie came out i remember thinking it looked weird uh, didn't realize that uh, Gary Marshall directed it. Didn't realize that it was based on a book by Anne Rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'd be intrigued to watch this, but I haven't seen it. 
I attempted to watch it, not from the beginning, but it was years ago, and I saw maybe about five minutes of it and just knew that this was not the film for me. And uh, it's, mm, yeah. It doesn't really seem like it's a film for most people. Yes, well, given its its, uh, critical reception, no. Well, I mean, we looked up the reviews for the specialist. Should we find the one good review for Exit to Eden? I think we should. Okay. I think I definitely think we should. Okay. Lori Hoffman of Atlantic City Weekly says, Exit to Eden is a mess, but oddly enough, it was an enjoyable mess. Uh, yep. See? That backhanded compliment. Nonsense. <laughs> That's the one good review. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on. Number five at the box office with $5.7 million and a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes, Little Giants. Yeah. I remember when this movie came out, but I didn't see it. Did you see yeah, it? Yeah, I remember when this movie came out, and I didn't see it either. I'm surprised you didn't watch it, because this seems to be like, you know, your thing. What? <laughs> Watching bad children's movies? No, I mean, you've watched a lot of them this year, so I figured maybe... I have. This- I have. It took me a while to learn, Mike, but boy, to have, have I learned at this point. I've really, really learned. Devin Sawa. Uh, I know this is the movie why, this movie is the reason why my uh, sister to this day has a huge crush on Devin Sawa. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. That's great. All right. Number three at the box office with $8 million and a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is very respectable. New Nightmare mm-hmm. by Wes Craven. Yep. This was him getting all meta, him, yeah. you know, tackling Freddy Krueger. It's sort of the proto-scream in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Sure uh, is. I, I didn't, I saw this like later on, like in college, and um, it was after I had loved Scream and it sort of was like going through all of the... Uh, nightmare movies i think leading up to freddy versus jason and i was really looking forward to it did you see this in the theater sure did yeah boy did i it got me back after having skipped freddy's dead mm-hmm. because i made it to i made it to five yeah. and then freddy's and by the time it was six i was like nah i'm out well five's out. the good one isn't it no five's the one that stephen hopkins directed no, five, it, it, it's everything. Listen, okay, look. Nightmare on Elm Street, good, all right? Uh, yeah, good. yeah. Although it took Nightmare me a while Street to two, Nightmare no. on Elm Street 2, not good, no. oh. but people love to like it regardless. Mm. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, crazy dumb premise, but a rockin' dockin' song for mm. the theme mm. and uh, features Patricia Arquette. Mm. in her breakthrough role mm. and um an interesting concept of dream warriors mm. then you have um i think four was dream child no no five is dream no. child yeah okay four was dream master okay and that's fine it's a little bit mm. you know nightmare on elm street was becoming sort of like the mcu of the horror yeah. genre and then you know uh five five was supposedly when it was originally in development if I recall correctly, Frank Miller worked on an early draft or something like that, uh, or contributed to an early treatment um, that didn't go anywhere. 
and then, uh, but after that, I was like, uh, and the thing is, I was a huge Freddy Krueger fan. Yeah. I loved Freddy Krueger. As an adult, going back and rewatching Nightmare on Elm Street and really paying attention to his origin story, not so much a Freddy Krueger fan anymore. <laughs> but um, when you were a kid, you know, he was the he was the smart ass killer. And so it was like, ah, it was kind of cute. And, and Robert Englund brought a They really got away from his origin story from yeah. three forward. It became more like the wacky horror movie sort of thing. Uh, serial comic. I still have not, as of this recording, still have not seen Freddy's Dead. Because I just was so done with the franchise by that point. But this got me back in the theater. So there you go. And what'd you think? I wouldn't be in the 78%. Yeah, me either. I was really looking forward to it because it seemed like such a cool concept and it just did not work for me. Great concept, poor execution. The only one that I liked out of those, you know, whatever, was number five. I think because it was more of an action movie. But I I did, I mean, to be fair, like, here's the thing, like, Freddy versus Jason was coming out and I was like, well, I've seen the first two Nightmare movies and I've seen zero Jason movies. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take two days and watch them all in order. And I did that. And I was just like, by the time I got to this, I was just like, oh, my God, this is just hell on earth. I cannot take (laughs) any of this stuff. Oh, my God, it's all so bad. I I can say that at the very least, Nightmare on Elm Street kept me interested longer than Friday the 13th did. Friday the 13th was just pretty lame, uh, and I was out pretty quick on that series. But Nightmare on Elm Street at least was inventive. And, you know, because it was actually here on the network recently, um, uh, Sean Eastridge devoted an entire episode of Missing Frames to the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And so I will echo, you know, what they said there, which is at the very least, the kills in the Nightmare series could be super inventive because you were in a dreamscape. And so the stuff that they did, there was no practical limit. Now, granted, Friday the 13th had no practical limit, but that's because eventually you got to the point where everybody just said, okay, we're we're just here for fun, whatever. Whereas that's baked into the very premise of Nightmare on Elm Street. So, you know, you can be really crazy with uh, with what's happening. So, yeah, out of all those movies, I mean, yeah, I would say on the whole, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is more solid than Friday the 13th. But Friday the 13th has Jason X and that's all that matters. I still I still got to see Jason X. I know. I know. You got to see Jason X. You love it. You would love it. I probably would. I probably would because it seems much more in line with uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. Um, It's better than that. Way better than that. Well, I certainly hope so because Jason Takes Manhattan stinks. Um, But it at least doesn't take itself too seriously in Toronto, New York. This movie, this movie has a uh, has David Cronenberg in it as a mad scientist. Yeah. Um, There's also a scene. Where uh, there's like this big tough guy who's fighting Jason, and Jason stabs him through the back, and the knife comes out, you know, the machete comes out like his chest. Yeah. And he's like, it's going to take more than a little poke like that to kill me. 
And then Jason stabs him again in the chest, and then he goes, that should do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. It's awesome. It looks like... It looks like it would air on like uh, syndicated television in the 90s, like one of those sci-fi shows like Andromeda. And it's got two people from the cast of Andromeda in it, of course. Oh, it's great. Watch it. Watch it. It's so good. And Freddy versus Jason is good, too. So, yeah. Oh, that I agree. I saw that in the theater, too, because that was the that was the culmination of every Every kid who grew up at my age, yeah. the, the endless debate who would win. That was, that was a movie probably looked forward to as much as Endgame ever was <laughs> within a certain segment of the population that used to read Fangoria. Yep. Yeah. All right. So moving on to uh, to, to the, the main attraction for October yeah. 14th. Coming in at number one at the box office with $13.3 million and a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, Pulp Fiction. What else could we possibly say about it? Yeah. Uh, Again, nominated for Best Picture. Um, This is the best so far of the year. And um, I mean, one of the best ever. I think the quintessential movie of the '90s. It's it's more important from like what it's doing as a movie to the '90s than any other movie was, regardless yeah. of quality. And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Yep, saw it five times in the theater. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. good. My girlfriend at the time got sick of seeing it. <laughs> I think at this point I've probably seen it five times in the theater, but I didn't see it in the theater until years after it came out. I still remember seeing it for the first time, and when Pumpkin and Honey Bunny jumped up from the table and did their thing, and then you had heard that first that first uh, guitar note from Mizalu, I was just in I was in love. Yeah. I was just on board, ready <laughs> to go. This was, yeah. I you know and I still get that thrill from the opening. Yeah. Knowing it's coming and like I, I I get back to that high where I'm like, "Yes, what an opening this is." Yeah. So, it no it definitely works. The first time I saw it, like I I rented it on video, you know, maybe like a year or so after it came out. And I like I was like 15 years old and I was like, "I I mean, not that my parents were really policing the movies that I watched. Like they never were like, you can't watch that. But at the same time, I didn't want to have that conversation, you know? So I'm like, I'm going to wait until everybody's asleep and I'm going to watch it (laughs) upstairs with the volume turned down really low. So I had the volume turned down almost all the way. And I was like, literally like my face, like right up against the TV. And, uh, yeah, it blew me away. You know? That must have made the adrenaline shot scene really interesting. Yeah, there was one scene in particular where, like, the cuts to a shot, and I'm like, holy crap. And I, like, <laughs> jumped back. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, but, yeah, it was it was great. It was great. And, uh, yeah, certainly. It deserves all the accolades, deserves everything that's, and proved more than anything else that Reservoir Dogs wasn't a fluke. Yeah. That that this kid Tarantino really had something special to do and you know 
I, I mean, gosh, I, you know, this soundtrack was on such heavy rotation for me in the nineties. Yep. I could not stop listening to it. And everybody could, you know, quote Sam Jackson left and right as he killed 2517, but still that, that line at the end, you know, still can get you. you know, the truth is, Ringo, you're the weak, and I'm the tyranny of evil men. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Like, what a line. What a performance. And boy, did he deserve that Oscar more than that, uh, Landau did. But whatever, whatever. Yeah. Too late now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that this is the best movie of the year up till now. And I'm not sure that anything is going to surpass it but if anything could it would come five days later on october 19th would it um yeah so number 19 at the box office this isn't the movie um <laughs> making twenty eight thousand dollars with 89 percent on rotten tomato tomatoes vanya on 42nd street have you seen this no it doesn't really seem like my bag. I've always wanted to see it because it's, you know, um, Julianne Moore, you know? And eh. I'm I'm into that, you know? Wallace Shawn's in it and everything, but I just, I haven't seen it. So maybe one day. Big fan of both of those actors, but uh, I don't know. Maybe someday. Yes. But number 16 at the box office with $49,000 and an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Clerks. Yep. By Kevin Smith. Yes. Okay, did you see this in the theater? No, I did not. Didn't see it till uh, video. Yeah? And what did you think? It's cute. It's a good movie. It's fun. And of course, you know, he kicks the door open on, on endless conversations about Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back to plague fandom for all time afterward. Plague it? I don't know. I mean, that was really what yes. got me, you know, like I, I was hanging out at a comic book store at, at that point in time. And, you know, people were not talking about Star Wars, of course. Um, and, you know, the the guys who worked at the comic book store were older than me by about seven to ten years. And, you know, so like 22, 25 and th- whatever. And, and they... Were like one of them was in film school and stuff like that, so they're aware of like, you know, indie movies yeah. and stuff. They had driver's license and they could drive into the city to Piper's Alley or whatever and see you know indie movies. And they had heard about this movie and they had seen the trailer and they're like, "That's really k- kind of just like us." And it is crazy. Like you go into the the comic book store that I worked mm-hmm. at in 1994 and it was just like that obviously the conversations but beyond that like the employees were rude to the customers and everything yes. like that and there were signs all over the place like the, the 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 most famous sign which is on the cash register in in clerks if you plan to shoplift let us know like Signs like that were all over the comic book store. The most famous one uh, being, it would be foolhardy to threaten us with the removal of your patronage. We don't care, right? Like that sign hung up above the register at the comic book store for years. 
prior to Clerks coming out, right? Mm -hmm, So, like, mm -hmm. these guys were like, we have to go see this movie. And then they saw it, and they're like, that movie was amazing. And then, like, you know, as it came out on video, people were coming in, and they'd be like, oh, you guys obviously saw Clerks. And they're like, yes, we did, but we had to sign up beforehand and everything. So, you know, like, I, I... I, I was I was well aware of this movie for a while, and it was something that they were really talking about. And um, then they talked about the, the Star Wars conversation. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, let me check this out, right? Star Wars conversation, okay, let me check it out. And I borrowed the movie from, from my coworker, and I watched it. I was 15 years old, and it was mind-blowing for numerous reasons. One reason being... I had never, ever been exposed to that much profanity, which seems strange now. But, like, there were words in there where I didn't know what they meant, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I mean, like, that's how eye-opening that aspect was for me. But much more than that was the idea that, like, these guys who were very much like me and my friends were able to make a movie. They were able to to, to yeah. have that. They had those resources at their disposal, the same resources that we had, and they were able to turn that into a movie. And that was incredibly inspiring. And I became a huge fan of Kevin Smith. I became obsessed with Kevin Smith. He was by far like the person who I looked up to more than anyone else uh, when I was in high school. And I just became the biggest Kevin Smith fan in the world. When Mallrats came out and those guys that I worked with saw it and were like, this is garbage. I was like, this is amazing. And I was on board forever. So much so that, you know, last week, the reason why I couldn't record was because Kevin Smith was in town showing his new movie. And I had to go see that because he was there. Listen, I enjoyed clerks. I, I, the reason I point to that, that damned, conversation about Star Wars, about Return of the Jedi and Empire in specific, is because of the fact that comic book and nerd fandom in general and everything is a copycat league. And so people who weren't as clever as that conversation hopped on that bandwagon and had a million conversations that were nowhere near as clever, but the people having them thought they were and it in a, in a sense through no fault of Kevin Smith wound up poisoning the well as it were where conversations couldn't get get out of that and it was one of those things where that's why I came to hate it over time but I obviously liked Clerks enough that I saw Mallrats in the theater I saw Chasing Amy in the theater I too became a Kevin Smith fan I too enjoyed it I if anything I don't care about the whole forced cynicism of certain aspects of the return of the Jedi empire conversation. I love more the fact that the way he resolves it is he has a contractor talk about a guy. Hey, no, he knew what he was getting into when he went there. And it was like, that was the capper to the conversation that people should have been paying attention to, not the other stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, like the, and the whole conversation, the, the, the controversy with his girlfriend and everything is just, really well handled and and that's the thing is smith has always been able to write great dialogue and yeah the fact that he took this 
movie and turned it into something is wonderful. It's it's fantastic. And Clerks is one of the important movies of the 90s as a result, and I still enjoy it. Um, but it's just that one conversation that I, I just, I, I think, had a huge deleterious effect on future conversations about a galaxy far, far away. So Perhaps. I mean, but at the same time, it just kind of showed a, it was the, the beginning of, you know, a change, I think, that was coming. And Oh, yeah. I don't know. Um, when, when I did see Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes uh, last week, it, it was interesting, something which I had not heard up until this point. I don't know if he, we were the first people who he told or whatever, but, um, you know, they're making Clerks 3 now. They're going to. They finally, he... he he made mm-hmm. he made up with Jeff Anderson who plays Randall and you know now they're going to do that and he had written a whole script for Clerks three and now he's throwing that out and doing something new and he said that uh, you know he just had a heart attack you know a year ago or whatever so the, the the premise for this movie is going to be that Randall has a heart attack and uh, when he you know recovers he realizes that he hasn't really done anything with his life and he wants to change that so he decides to make a movie and the movie that he makes is Clerks and it's about that and I think that that's pretty cool I'm down with that idea it's as meta as New Nightmare yeah there you go so (laughs) hopefully it ends up better (laughs) yes and speaking of meta uh, you know Jay and Silent Bob reboot it's it's out. It's making the rounds. It's slowly being released across the country. If it comes to your neck and neck of the woods, if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. It is worth it. It's really good. It's a return to form for Smith in a lot of ways, and uh, it's very enjoyable. So there you go. Yeah, I'll keep my eyes open for it. Yeah. All right. So moving on to October twenty first. It's kind of you know, it's. This is this is sort of very anticlimactic. But uh, yes. next up, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, 80- don't want to talk about it. I didn't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. Did you see it? No. No. <laughs> I didn't see it either. It it, it has a uh, um eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Me. But uh, yeah, I I don't really know anything about it. Um. So so there you go. Um. Yeah. Next up, number 17 at the box office with $0.1 million and a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, Bullets Over Broadway. Yes. It and was, it's a cute movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, it is. It, it's a cute, funny movie. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've always wanted to see it. Haven't yet, you know. Uh, and and it's... I, I like 90s Woody Allen stuff. I mean, I think my favorite of his movies is Everyone Says I Love You. Which came out mm. a couple of years after this, so okay. you know I wanted to check this out, but at the same time, um, Woody Allen's uh, uh, filmography has sort of uh, been bumped down on the queue a little bit, you know, in recent years. Mm. So, well, yeah. I can say that uh, with Bullets Over Broadway, um, we're recording this on the day that uh, Robert Evans, legendary producer, died, and he uh, was a producer on the Cotton Club where supposedly the mob was involved. So there you go. Did Robert Evans uh, die today? Is that why people are talking about him? Yes. Yes, he did. Oh. On the day we record this, Robert Evans uh, 
drifted off into the great post credit scene in the sky. Okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right. Number 15 at the box office with $1.1 million and a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes, Radioland Murders. Yes. And I enjoy it and I like it and I have a soft spot for it and whatever, man. <laughs> whatever i like this movie no i like this movie too you know i mean the, the idea of like screwball comedy you know kind of yeah. like that same ed wood thing screwball comedy set in the 30s whatever obviously like it was weird because all of my movie news i got from the lucasfilm fan club magazine at this point in yep. time so they're like oh there's a new lucasfilm movie called radioland murders next year yep. there'll be another one called red tails um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't. Okay. Took a yeah, few got years. That, took took that a few year. years for that one. Yeah. But, uh, radio land murders. Yeah. It's enjoyable. I like it. Uh, one of the things which I think is interesting about it is like looking at it now and we've talked about this before, but it yep. really is sort of like beta testing for Phantom Menace. So yeah, a lot, a lot of the technical tricks and, uh, and everything down the, I mean, I, I just, I, I get a kick out of Radio Land Murders because it's cute and funny and it's fast. Yeah. And the pace on it is breakneck. I, and there, I mean, there are moments that are actually really amazing with how fast they move. And, uh, and it's an all-star cast. So, yeah, that's good stuff. All right. So number four at the box office with $5.1 million and 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. The Puppet Masters, which I... Yeah, an adi- yeah, adaptation of a Robert Heinlein story. I swear this came out earlier this year. I get... Uh, maybe that was Body Snatchers, whatever. Yeah, that was Body Snatchers. We watched Body Snatchers, which was bad. Uh, Puppet Masters is actually an adaptation of the story that inspired Body Snatchers or something like that, where it was... Yeah, this is Heinlein's original story or something, and Sutherland is in this one, right? And, yeah, but wasn't he in like the yeah. other one in the seventies too? Yes, he was in Invasion of the Body Snatchers back in the seventies, and so I guess it's supposed to be a cute little thing that he's in this too, or whatever. It really couldn't be more confusing if it tried. Yeah, yeah, that's probably well. Some of Heinlein's work it definitely falls in that category too. So, did you see it or not? No. Okay. I've seen I've seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Don't need to see it again. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. All right. So number three at the box office, our final movie for for this time frame, with seven point two million dollars and thirty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, Love Affair, mm. which stars uh, Warren Beatty and Annette Bening, uh, directed by Glenn Gordon Karen, who you know, I mean, he did like that show medium and like 30 something mm. or something like that. Yeah. With a script by Robert town and Warren Beatty. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. There's some story behind this. Like this was going to be like a big thing or something. And I, like, they thought that this was going to be some sort of like epic masterpiece, something or other. Oh, and the fact that it was Warren Beatty and Annette Benning, it was uh, going to be magical chemistry, just like casting uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman together in a movie. Hey, that worked out well. Um, we can table the Eyes Wide Shut discussion, and I'll point instead to Far and Away. 
which is more contemporaneous <laughs> with true. this. That's true. And that's Far true. and Away sucks. Yeah. That's a bad movie. I saw that in the movie theater too, and I was I was upset at the end of it because I felt like I'd been cheated of my money and time. Yeah. Oh well. Um, you know, I mean, the other thing about this movie, which is is a little bit of interesting trivia, is apparently Carrie Fisher was a script doctor on the on, yeah. on the movie. Not surprising, but I guess she didn't help it out that much because thirty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You could argue there's only so much you can do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's it for the first three weeks in October. Yeah. Yeah. Burn through those. And hey, now at this point, we've all of the Oscar nominees for Best Picture have been released. That's so weird. I mean, have we even seen one Oscar nominee released in 2019? I mean, yeah, but. Yes. You know, it's weird though, right? That all of them would be out by October 14th? Well, I mean, I guess. I don't I don't know if it's maybe in response to that why they started stacking them. I mean because the thing is it was abnormal a couple of years prior a few years prior to 90 when Silence of the Lambs won. The fact that yeah. it, that was released so early. So Oscar bait has always been released closer to the end of the year. So what we'll be seeing is we will start seeing an uptick in movies that are supposed to be nominated for best picture. Yeah. But don't meet the criteria and so it's sort of 94 sort of a topsy-turvy year because of that because these weren't movies except for tarantino tarantino won the the Cannes film festival yeah so he was in the conversation to begin with but and there was you know and there was buzz about like quiz show and stuff like that but like you know everybody was still expecting you know it not to be an anticlimactic year, like I guess it it turned out being. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, whatever. Um, yeah. All right. So, so I guess because of that, it means it means maybe not the the best. I mean, it, it can't. We're not going to reach the highs that we've reached already. Probably. Probably not. Okay. Probably not. So, so for the next two weeks. We've got October 28th and November 4th. We've got some, some movies coming out. October 28th, Drop Squad, The Road mm. to Wellville, mm. Silent Fall, mm. Squanto, A Warrior's Tale, yeah. and Stargate. Okay, Stargate's <laughs> in there. And November 4th, The War, mm. Oleana, Oh dear, yes. Floundering. Mm-hmm. Frankenstein. Oh, that, oh my gosh, Brano's Frankenstein. I think so. Oh wow. And Double Dragon. Oh, now that's. I mean, we're obviously <laughs> getting into Oscar bait territory right there. Yeah. All right. So, so that's what we have to look forward to. But until then, John, where can people find you on the internet? No, oh, look for Kessel Junkie. That's my online name. Uh, you'll find me on your social network of choice. And, of course, you can find me here on the network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with one Matthew Rushing. And, Mike, where can people find you? 
You can find me uh, on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on FilmDamagePod.com doing a show called Film Damage. You can find me on Trek.fm doing a show called Tracks on the Line and another show called Tracks from the Edge. And you can find me soon, December 13th, on TalkFilmSociety.com doing a show called Bayhem, which is a... yes. Michael Bay retrospective podcast. So nice. yeah, check those yes. out. Yeah. yeah. I'm on board for Bayhem. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we've been slowly recording them all year long. And uh, then when his new movie comes out on December 13th, Six Underground, uh, we're going to drop them all simultaneously Netflix style. So yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So that's it for this week. Uh, But until next time, be kind, rewind. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.